0: Welcome to another class of the Rebbe's teachings, uh, this week's parsha, parasha, parasha Sur A. Um, actually uh, gets into a long discussion about the holidays. Um, I know it's a little bit early to think about the holidays, but it's never too early. The high holidays are coming right around the corner in about almost a month. Um, you know, at the end of the week, next week is going to be Rosh Chodesh Elul, which is uh, the month right before the month of Tishrei. The month of all the holidays, starting with Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, and Simchas Teirah. So, um, in this week's parasha, uh, towards the end, there is an in-depth discussion about the holidays, the biblical holidays, obviously, and um, we are going to be focusing on a very interesting element of the holiday of Sukkot. In fact, an element of the holiday of Sukkot that is not specifically spoken about in this week's Parsha. The reason for that is uh, because this uh, part of the observance of Sukkot was transmitted to us through tradition. You know, uh, many are familiar with uh, Fiddler on the Roof and uh, the opening words uh, of Tevye he says, here in Antavka, we have traditions for everything, how to sleep, eat, work, how to wear our clothing. Um, You may ask, how did these traditions get started? I'll tell you, I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Now, this may seem a bit overly simplistic, but there is a deep truth to what Tevye is saying that the integrity of Judaism, the fact that all of us know what we are supposed to do and that we know who we are, it's not necessarily because we can read it in the books, but it's because of the traditions. It's because of the traditions that were handed down to us, dating all the way back to Moses, and it was a tradition that was preserved in every single generation until it reached us. True, after about 1500 years, these tra- traditions started to become, uh, you know, they, they needed to write them down, it wasn't enough just to have the five books of Moses and prophets and writings. We needed to start writing down our traditions. Um, but the integrity of Judaism always depended on the integrity of these traditions. And so the, the holiday of Sukkot has a unique and special tradition that was treated with utmost respect and with, uh, with a lot of pomp and ceremony. And today we're going to analyze, we're going to learn through together Um, a talk from the Rebbe explaining why it is that Jews make a big deal about tradition. Alrighty, so let's go to page three, uh, source number one. In in speaking about the holiday of Sukkot, the Torah tells us, You shall rejoice on your festival along with your son and daughter, your servant and maidservant, and the Levite, proselyte, orphan and widow from your settlements. Celebrate to God your Lord for seven days in the place that God will choose since God will then bless you in all your agricultural and other endeavors so that you will be only happy. Ach You're going to be happy on Sukkot. God will bless you that you should be happy all year round. Now this is uh, a very specific uh, and clear, explicit law in the Torah that on the holiday of Sukkot we must rejoice in the holiday. However, in addition to the general celebration of Sukkot, there was a unique celebration that would happen only in the Holy Temple uh, and not throughout the entire holiday. It only happened in connection with a specific tradition that was done in the temple. So for a little bit of background, every day in the temple, there there was a whole list of sacrifices that needed to be offered. On a regular day, they would offer a sacrifice in the morning, there was a sheep in the morning and a sheep in the afternoon. But together with the sheep, they would offer a meal offering, a flour, an oil, and then a libation of wine. They would take wine and they would pour it uh, on the corner of the altar. There was, a, there was a hole that ran all the way down to the ground, and they would pour the wine onto the altar. Uh, this was part of the service of the sacrifices. This would happen every day. On the holidays, on Shabbat, they would bring more sacrifices called the Karban Musaf. And uh, if it was a weekday, people would bring their own private sacrifices as well. During the holiday of Sukkot, so they would bring the morning sacrifice and the afternoon sacrifice. They would also bring a Karban Musaf, the extra sacrifices in honor of the festival. But what was unique about the holiday of Sukkot was that in addition to the wine libation, they would also bring a water libation. Now mind you, there is no indication in the Torah of water libation, at least in the five books of Moses. There is no wine, water libation mentioned in the five books of Moses. Um, and there was a tradition uh, that on the holiday of Sukkot they would pour water on the altar. Uh, how would they do this? So source two how was the water libation performed? A golden jug with a capacity of three lug—that's a—that's a certain measurement of uh, a, a liquid, a liquid measurement from the times of the Holy Temple. So three lug was filled from the Siloam pool, the Shiloach pool. When they reached the gate of the water, so, the, so this pool was outside of the temple proper, and they would take—they they, would—they would—they would fill up this uh, this jug with the water. They reached the gate of the water. They sounded a tekiah, trua, and tekiah. They would blow a shofar. The priest ascended the ramp of the altar and turned to his left. Now this is happening in the morning while they are bringing the sacrifices, uh, the carbon musaf, the extra sacrifices for, um, for the holiday of Sukkot. Um, so the, the priest would take this jug after they had filled it from the Shiloh well, uh, pool, And he would take this jug, he ascended the ramp of the altar and turned to his left. Two silver basins were there, perforated at the bottom with two nose-like protrusions. One had a broad perforation and one had a thin perforation so that the flow of both the water and the wine, which do not have the same viscosity, would conclude simultaneously. The basin on the west was for water and the basin on the east was for wine. Okay, this was the libation, but together with the libation, interestingly enough, on the night before they would fill the jugs with water, there was a tremendous celebration in the Holy Temple, specifically connected to the libation of the water libation or more specifically it was connected to the fact that they would draw the water from the shiloh. so in preparation for the drawing of the water they would have a tremendous celebration in the holy temple. Here, Here's in the words of the Mishnah, in source three. Whoever did not see the Simchat Beit Shoeva, celebration of the place of the drawing has never seen a real celebration. At the conclusion of the first day of the festival, the women's courtyard, which was the main temple courtyard, would undergo significant repair. Golden candelabras were set up, each with four basins of gold at its top and four ladders for each pole. Four young priests would take pictures with a capacity of 120 lug of oil and pour them into each basin. The light was so bright that there wasn't a courtyard in Jerusalem that wasn't illuminated from the light of the Simchat Beit HaShoeva. The pious men and leaders would dance before the crowd while juggling flaming torches, and they would say passages of song and praise. You know, the juggling, it seems like it was a circus. No, this wasn't a circus, these weren't clowns. These were the greatest leaders of the Jewish people were, were celebrating in such a fashion. The Levites would play the lyres, harps, cymbals, and trumpets, and countless musical instruments, while standing on the 15 stairs, descending from the Israelites' courtyard, to the women's courtyard, which correspond to the 15 songs of the ascents in Psalms. They correspond to the 15 Shir HaMa'alot. The the Talmud goes into great detail of how exactly the Simchat Beit HaShavava was celebrated, but the basic picture that emerges is that the greatest celebration that ever happened in Jerusalem, specifically in the Temple, was a celebration prior to drawing the water. Why? Why would they celebrate so much? The Talmud asks, from where are these matters derived? Where did the sages, where did our ancestors take this idea? Where did they get the idea that before drawing the water from the Shiloh, they should celebrate, they should make this tremendous celebration? Rav Eno said that it is as the verse states, it's a verse in Isaiah, with joy you shall draw water out of the springs of salvation. So Isaiah is referring to the drawing of water, the only drawing of water that existed. That had significance in the holy temple was the drawing of the water that happened during the holiday during the seven days of Sukkot. And so they learned from here that the, that the verse in the prophet is telling us that we must do so with joy. Now the obvious question is this isn't the only place in the Torah where we are told that we should be joyful. We are told to be joyful on all the holidays and yet we don't see that Judaism should make an emphasis that when it comes to any holiday we should Make this tremendous celebration anything close to what the Simchat Beit Hashoeva, the celebration of the drawing of the water, was. So the Rebbe is going to analyze this uh, this question, this issue. Page five. The Talmud asks, what is the source for the elaborate celebration of the water libation and the Simchat Beit Hashoeva? It, answer, it answers by citing a verse with joy you shall draw water out of the springs of salvation, indicating that this verse refers to the water libation of Sukkot, and commands that the drawing be done with joy. For this reason we find that the primary celebration took place at the drawing of the water and not when it was actually poured on the altar. Now there's the climax of the nightly celebration, well, specifically when they were drawing the water, that's when they would blow the shoi the big deal was not when they were actually pouring the water. It was actually, it was when they were drawing the water. Why? Because in Isaiah it says, when you draw the water, you should do so with joy. However, the verse only indicates that the drawing should be a joyous occasion. While the Mishnah and Talmud say much more. Whoever did not see the Simchat Beit Hashoeva has never seen a real celebration. The act of drawing water evoked such joy that it outshines all other celebrations, even the joy of the holiday itself. This raises a question. The obligation to be joyful on the holiday is a biblical commandment with a clear verse in the Torah, which comes from this week's parasha. You shall rejo- rejoice on your festival. On the other hand, the verse in Isaiah, with joy you shall draw water, is not explicitly associated with this Sukkot celebration. In, in other words, Isaiah wasn't specifically talking about the holiday of Sukkot. Isaiah says that when you draw water, you should be happy. In other words, it's kind of this roundabout way of saying that, and, and, and in other words, we had to understand from the verse, we had to deduce since the only time that we have a drawing of water in connection with the Holy Temple. So probably it's speaking about drawing the, of the drawing of the water for the water libation of the holiday of Sukkot. Right, the, the Rebbe continues. Our sages understood the verse as a reference to this custom, only because there is no other ritual in which water is drawn. Nonetheless, so so the Rebbe is basically setting this up in this way. About the about the concept of being happy and being joyful during the festival of Sukkot, we have an explicit biblical verse: "Be happy in Sukkot, rejoice in your festival." With regard to rejoicing. Um, in connection with the water libation or the drawing of the water. We have a verse in Isaiah that's not even explicitly speaking about it, but the sages deduced that it is connected to this water libation or to the drawing of the water that's done on Sukkot. Nonetheless, the joy during the drawing of the water, based on an extrapolation from Isaiah, seems greater than the holiday joy, which is an explicit biblical commandment. This raises the question, why? What is the source for this tradition? Uh, you know, just, to, just to sharpen the question a bit, why is it that when it comes to observing biblical commandments, obviously we observe them, but it doesn't seem to be a major emphasis on the pomp and ceremony. We don't go out of our way to make something to the point where, someone, where the Talmud could say, if you haven't seen that joy, you've never seen such joy in your life. And the one time, the one time that Judaism, uh, we'll we'll see soon, there are several other times where they make a big, big, what we call in Yiddish, a shturim, which is translated in English as a storm. You know, a a storm is by definition an exaggeration. It's just a lot of noise and just a a lot going on. Um, Why is it that specifically in connection with something that is not explicitly stated in the Torah, the joy that's meant to be associated with it is also not explicitly stated in the Torah. Specifically, there—that's where Judaism, that's where our culture has um, ha- has placed a premium on making uh, a, a major deal out of it. Another brings to our attention another very important mitzvah that happens during a festival, the festival of Pesach, which is also mentioned in this week's parasha. Uh, We talk about all the festivals in Parashatra A. Um, But this specific observance that happens during the holiday of Pesach is in fact uh, communicated to us in the Torah, in the book of Leviticus. And that is that on the second day of Pesach, um, we we are obligated to bring a, a special meal offering. On behalf of all the people, we bring a special meal offering of barley to the Holy Temple. This is called the Omer Offering. So just to give some background, or actually, let's go. Let's go into the actual source. Um, uh, let's go on page seven. Uh, source four. These are God's. This is from Leviticus. These are God's festivals that you must celebrate, the sacred holidays at their appropriate times. It starts off with Shabbos. Then on the fifteenth of that month, it is God's festival of matzahs, and you eat matzahs for seven days. Speak to the Israelites. And say to them. When you come to the land that I am giving you and you reap its harvest, you must bring an omer, a biblical measurement, of your first reaping to the priest. Bring it to the temple. Um, in, in fact, before bringing this offering, we were not allowed to derive, we we're not allowed to eat any of the new crop. We we're not allowed to eat any uh, flower um, that, that was uh, produced from the new crop of the, from the new harvest of that year. We have to wait until the fi- until um, until the Omer offering was brought. He shall wave it before God so that it will be acceptable for you. So we bring this offering to the temple um, and we bake a specific type of matzah bread. The cone would take it and would wave it in all four directions, up and down. And the Torah continues and says, He shall wave it on the day after the Shabbat. The day after the Shabbat. Now, one second, we're not talking about Shabbos here. We're talking here about the holiday of Pesach. So what does it mean after the Shabbat? Uh, tradition, dating all the way back to Moses, was, is, well, today, that after the Shabbat means right after the festival day of Pesach. Biblically, there are seven days of Pesach. The first day is festival. The last day is festival. And the days in between, are Cholamoyed, they're like quasi-weekdays, quasi-holidays, but they're not festivals. Um, so when it says, after, so the word Shabbos means a day that we rest from work. A yomtev, a holiday, a chag, is also a type of Shabbos. You have to rest from work. because Most of the things that we're not allowed to do on Shabbos, we're not allowed to do on the holidays. The only exceptions are those things that are associated with the preparation of food, but that's way beyond uh, what this class is all about. Um, so when it says in the Torah, and he shall wave it on the day after the Shabbat, tradition is that we're talking here about the second day of Pesach, uh, which in biblical times, and even today in Israel, uh, they only keep one day of festival there. Again, the reason for this is beyond what this class is all about. Uh, so they would bring it on the second day of Pesach, which was Chol already. It was ready that quasi weekday. Um, why? Because the day before that is festival, which is also considered a Shabbat. Uh, it's not just only through tradition, in fact the other verses that are mentioned in the prophets etc are very explicit that the appropriate time for the offering of the Omer is on the day after the first day of basically the second day of Pesach. Um, I believe we, we had a class about this earlier this year, so, um, but, but w- because the Torah uses the term Shabbat, and doesn't say clearly the day after the festival, uh, so this led to um, an unfortunate debate Uh, between those who kept the tradition dating back to Moses and those that rejected tradition. Um, So what was this all about? Um, So let's go into the Rebbe's Sicha on page eight. Let's continue. We can answer the question. One second, hold on here. Okay, Uh, we can answer the question with the following preface just wanna make sure that we're doing this correctly here. All right. Um, we can answer the question with the following preface. We find a similar concept regarding Passover. In fact, the months of Nisan and Tishrei are considered counterparts. Tishrei is the beginning of the year while Nisan is the beginning of the months and their respective holidays, Sukkot and Passover, have many similarities. Um, in, th- in, this, uh, in this parentheses, uh, there, there's, there's a lot of depth here uh, but the point is that we all know that Rosh Hashanah, the beginning of the new year, is in the month of Tishrei. However, when it comes to counting the months, when you read the Torah, the Torah does not say Tishrei, and Kislev, doesn't use those terms, or only uses the first month, the second month, the third month. When you talk about the number of the months, the counting begins in the month of Nisan, seven months after the beginning of the year. Why that is, is a conversation for itself, but uh, be it as it may, at the very beginning of the year, in the month of Tishrei, there is a festival. That's on the 15th. And in the month of Isam, which is the beginning of the month, there's also a festival on the 15th, which is Pesach. And therefore we're going to learn um, an interesting, the question, our original question is about a tradition that is associated with the holiday of Sukkot. We are going to see a counterpart with the holiday of Pesach. Also has a very public ritual, the reaping of the Omer offering on the second evening of the holiday. The Mishnah says that all the nearby townspeople would gather so that the reaping would be carried out with great fanfare. Now here's a quote from the Mishnah. Once it grew dark, he would say to the assembled, did the sun set? They would respond, yes. Shall I reap the sheaves with the sickle? Yes. In fact, it was done three times. Each each announcement, each question was done three times. Uh, Shall I place the gathered sheaves in this basket? Yes. Shall I cut the sheaves? Cut. The emissary asks three times with regard to each and every matter, and the assembly says to him, yes, yes, yes. The reason the reaping was held with such banter is explained in the Mishnah's continuation. Why was all this done? Due to the Baitusim. The Baitusim was a group. um, Unfortunately, they weren't so fringe, but the Baitusim was a group of Jews in the Second Holy Temple era. Uh, There were they there were followers of a, a scholar his name was Baitus. but so this Baitus basically uh left tradition and uh, they argued that the tradition uh, that was preserved by the sages was a farce and uh and they would start to they translated the torah's words literally uh which led to a lot of uh changes in tradition i'll just give you an interesting you well know, i'll i'll veer off a little bit here for a moment i think this is interesting and important to know uh there is a, um, there, there's a verse in the Torah that says like this, eye for an eye, arm for an arm. Does Judaism believe in that? If someone comes and knocks out someone's eye, is the punishment that you knock out that person's eye? No way. Absolutely not. The tradition, all the way dating back to Moses, is that the translation of this verse is that if someone knocks out someone's eye, they are now liable to pay the value of that eye. Now, what exactly that means is all separate discussion. But eye for an eye does not mean that you knock on someone's eye. Absolutely not. It means that there is monetary payment that must be given for the damage that was done to this person. Maimonides writes something very powerful. Maimonides says that if someone comes along and translates the verse eye for an eye to mean that if someone knocks out someone's eye, the punishment is that you knock out their eye because eye for an eye, this person is a heretic. This person who translates the verse this way, it's as if he says that Torah is false. It's as if he says that the Torah doesn't come through divine uh, prophecy to Moses. It's as if this person says that Shabbat is not on Saturday, Shabbat is on Tuesday. That is That is how entrenched the concept of tradition is when it comes to translating the Torah, when it comes to understanding the Torah and how to apply the mitzvot of the Torah. This is tradition. Tradition is not just which type of matzah ball soup we eat or what type of recipe we use for any type of given food or what type of songs we sing. When we talk about tradition, we're talking here about how do we translate the Torah, how do we apply it, And if one does not have direct tradition with regard to applying the Torah, they're not just doing better than nothing. They are going against the Torah. If someone translates I for an I to mean the literal sense, that is complete heresy. Now, the Baitusim, they fell into that level of heresy. They rejected the tradition. They rejected how Moses taught the Torah to the Jewish people and the way it was preserved for all generations and they started to go on their own way. The problem is number one that they're leaving tradition, the bigger problem is is that if you don't follow tradition you're going to end up in knots. Once you don't follow tradition you're trying to follow the Torah in its literal sense you start to sound silly and you start to contradict yourself and the way you set up your Torah, the way you set up your tradition, the way you set up your observance is completely um, foolish, completely foolish. When, 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 when analyzed, it becomes extremely laughable. So uh, the Baitusim, let, let's go back to what the Rebbe is saying here. Due to the Baitusim, who would say? The harvest of the Omer does not take place on the first day of Passover. In other words, right after the first day of Passover they maintain that Shabbat in the verse is to be interpreted literally. So what they're saying is like this, if the first day of Pesach is on a a Thursday, if if the first day of Pesach is on a Thursday, you don't bring the Omer on Friday, you wait until after Shabbat and then bring the Omer on Sunday. Um, And this is a recorded debate between the Baitusim, the Sadducees, and the Sages. Um, it raged for many, many years. Um, Obviously, what they were saying was complete hogwash, was complete foolishness, um, and the tradition is maintained that it is the day afterwards. So the publicity was created to reject the Baitusim's interpretation and underscore that the 16th of Nisan was the proper time for the Omer harvest. In other words, although this was an ordinary offering similar to the offerings brought daily in the temple. They surrounded this specific offering with great pomp and ceremony, even the preparations for the offering for the express purpose of making a point against the Baitusim. So, why were we making such a big deal out of it? To make a point that we have a tradition. Now, before jumping back into Simchat Beta Shoeva, the great joy that accompanied the tradition of the water libation on Sukkot, it's interesting to note if you look on page, five, uh, page 10, Source 5, um, there's an interesting correlation between the Omer offering and the water libation. Uh, that was the, the, the Omer offering that was brought in Passover time, in Pesach, and the water libation that was brought in Sukkot. If you look at Source 5, Rabbi Akiva said, The Torah said, bring an Omer of barley on Passover, the season of barley, so that the grain shall be blessed for you. Bring wheat and first fruits on Shavuot, the season of the trees, so that the fruit will be blessed for you. Bring the water libation on Sukkot, so that you will be blessed with rain. In fact, the Mishnah tells us that Sukkot is the time when God judges us and, and decides and determines how much rain we're going to have. That's one of the reasons why we shake the lulav and Esri, the lulav, the, the four kinds, is the four species, um, four different types of agriculture that all come together and we wave it in all directions, and this is a prayer that God should send the proper rain and the proper wind that's necessary for us to have a good crop this year. So Sukkot is the holiday in which we are being judged for water, and therefore, just like Passover time, which is the season for the barley harvest, we bring barley to the temple, so to on Sukkot, just like it's the season for water, the season we're being judged for water, so the Torah tells us that we should bring water to the altar. So, We see that with regard to the Omer offering, it was done with much pomp and ceremony, specifically in order to stick it to the Baitusim, in order to stick it to those that reject tradition. In the same way we do with regard to Simchat Beit HaShareva, with regard to the water libation. Because as we mentioned, the water libation is not explicitly mentioned in the Torah. It's alluded to very, very cryptically, Uh, in fact, in in numbers in Parashas Pinchas, where we talk about the holidays that were brought. I'm sorry, the the the, the sacrifices that were brought uh, in the Holy Temple on the holidays. So when it comes to the holiday of Sukkot, there's you know there's a list of sacrifices that were brought every day, and our sages identified an extra mem, an extra yud, and an extra mem, which which spells out the word ma'im, and from there that's like this little uh, hint in the Torah to this water libation. But essentially, the water libation is purely a tradition. Um, that was instituted by the prophets. Apparently, it, it, it dates all the way back to Moses. Um, the tradition of bringing the water libation. So obviously, the Beit and the Sadducees they rejected this tradition. In fact, there was a dramatic story that happened in the Holy Temple during the Second Temple, um, during the Second Temple era, um, that that there was a Kohen Gadol, a high priest. In fact, he had served as a high priest for many, many years. Some say even for eighty years, and. It was, um, it was Sukkot, and it was the time to, to pour the water onto the altar as the water libation. And this Kohen Gadol, at his old age, he had basically become a Sadducee. And uh, he rejected this tradition. And instead of pouring it into, onto the altar properly, he poured it onto his feet to show that he, 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 he completely um, disregarded this tradition. And he felt that it was, uh, it was irrelevant when the people saw that. They were so upset with him that they, they you have to remember it's Sukkot, so everyone has a bowl of an etrog. they took their etrogim and pelted him with etrogim and basically killed him on the spot. This is how upset the, the, the crowd that was gathered by the temple, they said, what? Someone is going to reject tradition in the seat of tradition? What is this? Someone who represents what tradition is all about is going to stick it to us, and it was just an automatic expression from the people. And because that happened one year, from then on, let's go to source 6 from the Talmud. The appointee says to the one pouring the water, raise your hand. In other words, make sure to raise your hand so that everyone should see that you're pouring the water in the right place. As one time, a priest poured the water on his feet, and the people stoned him with their etros. So, so we, um, so, so, the Rebbe is going to continue. Let, let's go to um, page 10 of the bottom. With this in mind, we can understand the meaning behind the great celebration of Simchat Beit Shaiva. The water libation is not explicitly written in the written Torah, and therefore the Sadducees rejected it. The Sadducees in the Baitusim, even though officially it, 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 there's, a, there's a discussion whether it's two separate groups, uh, but essentially they had the same outlook on life, um, the same rejection of, uh, tr- of tradition. The Talmud relates that the priest was told to raise his hand while pouring so that everyone would be able to see, because a Sadducee priest once poured the water on his leg and an entire crowd stoned him with their etrogs we can suggest that this is the reason for the immense celebration that surrounded the water libation. The verse merely states that the water should be drawn with joy. But nevertheless, since the Sadducees rejected the entire ritual, the sages instituted an elaborate celebration for the entire event, doing it with unparalleled fanfare, much like the customs surrounding the Omer offering. And not only was it done with much pomp and ceremony, For the men that were participating in the celebration, they did everything that they could, that the women should be able to celebrate as well. This is also the reason that they would arrange significant repair in the temple courtyard. What exactly was the repair? The Talmud relates that there were protrusions in the walls of the courtyard, and each year they would construct a balcony, allowing the women to gather on the balcony and witness the celebration, while the men gathered on the floor below. From a perspective of biblical law, women are obligated to come to the temple only once in seven years for the hakel gathering at the close of the sabbatical year when the entire Jewish people would gather hear passages of Torah from the king. The women are not obligated to be in the temple at all. They're allowed to, but they don't have this, this obligation. There's only once in seven years that women had an obligation to come to the holy temple. Um, and yet, when it comes to Simchat Beit HaShu'aiva, we went out of our way to prepare the temple area. That it should be a place where women could be encouraged to participate as well. Otherwise, we find only one other instance in which a special place was arranged for women to participate in the events at the temple. The celebration of the Simchat Beit HaShu'aiva, the Rashi's words, so that the women would be able to stand there and witness the celebration. The explanation is, as we said before, the Sadducees objected to the entire ritual of the water libation. Therefore the sages made it into a fundamental part of Judaism and created this entire elaborate celebration, ensuring that women participate as well, all to emphasize the mistake of the Sadducees. And obviously when all the details of the water libation are carefully carried out according to the instructions of the Torah, it is a great reason to celebrate. So, the message that the Rebbe is conveying based on the analysis that we've that we've just done on the tremendous joy and celebration that surrounded Simchat Beit Hasho'eva, and the pomp and fanfare, the pomp and ceremony that, that, that was associated with the Omer offering. Um, and we see that specifically with these two traditions, there was a debate between the traditionalists and those who said, no, 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 we're just going to go back to the original words. We're just going to keep to what exactly it says in the Torah itself. And that's where we're going to keep Judaism, which is a complete rejection of, reject, of, of tradition. And as Maimonides states unequivocally, that's a rejection of Judaism. And, um, and, and the, reason, the reason why um, the, the sages and in general, our Jewish culture evolved in a way that specifically these two things, Uh, we're the most memorable, we're the most joyful, we're the most celebrated, is because tradition is the cornerstone of Jewish continuity. Tradition is the cornerstone of Jewish observance. If we don't have tradition, if we don't have that unbroken chain of tradition of how to understand the Torah, how to apply the mitzvot, in simple terms that is the end of Judaism. And therefore when there were certain groups in Judaism in our history that specifically targeted certain traditions and said, no, this is not the right way to do it. The way we combated it was when we when we um, clarified, when we clarified and we set down the facts that this is part of tradition, that this is how Moses taught us to turn. This is how God wants us to observe Judaism. That is, that is cause for celebration and that is going to be the most memorable thing because this is what really, um, Takes us forward. This is what uh, creates a healthy Jewish community, a healthy Jewish community that is able to face all the challenges of the future, and um, that will that will that will be able to do what it needs to do in order to prepare the world for the coming of Mashiach. Which then, obviously, we won't have any of the issues um, of, of rejection of tradition. Uh, but the main thing is, until Mashiach comes. We should keep the tradition, celebrate tradition. And as Tevye said, even though we don't know, we don't understand why it is that way, we keep it because this is what makes us Jewish. This is what ensures that we do what we need to do. So, l'chaim to tradition, and um, maybe have a wonderful week. Thank you for joining.